Hello, I'm Brian Hubbard. And I'm Lynn McTaggart. And we are What Doctors Don't Tell You. What Doctors Don't Tell You is a monthly health magazine. It's also an award-winning website, www.wddty.com. So look us up if you haven't already. And uh, we talk about the news every week, and every other week anyway, and what we think about it all. And there's so much interesting news and doctors and medicine. Make sure there is a rich flow of the stuff. For example, the opioid scandal. One of the biggest scandals in medicine right now. Um, Responsible thus far for 218,000 deaths in the States between 1999 and 2017. It matches the scandal of the doctors who never wash their hands and kill 100,000 patients a year scandal, or the adverse reactions to drugs that is the fourth major killer in the West scandal, or the bad blood uh, transfusion, which is called hundreds of people scandal. But let's stick with the opioid scandal, um, (laughs) where they've discovered there's been some undercover work uh, by sort of federal agents who've discovered that doctors have been handing out prescriptions to these very addictive painkillers in exchange for all sorts of things, including sexual favours. Um, and it's uh, affected primarily the Appalachian states, which are some of the poorest states in, in, in America. And uh, it just involves 60 health professionals, including 31 doctors, who between them have illegally this is illegally prescribed more than 32 million opioids. And uh, as I say, some have been for sexual favours. Others have involved a dentist who's been pulling healthy teeth so he can justify prescribing the painkiller to people. Um, in all, the, uh, the practitioners have been charged with writing 350,000 illegal prescriptions for the, for the drugs. And um, the one, one was described as operating a pill mill because he had dispensed more than 1.7 million opioids in just two years. Um, and there's another one in Tennessee who actually uh, prescribed the drugs in exchange for sexual favours. I mean, you know, it's, you almost say you couldn't make it up. And indeed, we haven't. Uh, all these people do face prosecution now. And I mean, really, it's the tip of the iceberg, Lynn. I mean, I think there are so many other terrible cases of doctors. Well, but the other thing is, which didn't get mentioned in this particular study, is the fact that doctors are also getting financial rewards from the manufacturers to prescribe these crippling painkillers. And you know, it just goes on and on. And yet, you know, we are supposed to still have trust in the system trust in the doctors and um but you know it, it, it's an astonishing thing with so many deaths on their hands you think that uh, there might be a little bit more moral integrity well i think that's the big shock of this story mm. brian as you said it's not the only scandal that happens in medicine um there's so many other ones that relate to as you say, the financial rewards that doctors are, are dangled, you know, uh, or are dangled in front of doctors. And I think that's the nub of the issue, really. I mean, first of all, it's so shocking that opioid prescriptions are allowed to go on the way they, they have um, without some sort of, um, some sort of uh, uh, regulation 
um, because, you know, these are drugs that wreck entire families, that cause deaths. I mean, they're just shocking numbers of deaths. We've got 218,000 deaths in the U.S. between 1999 and 2017, as well as just long-term addiction that goes on even from short-term use of these drugs. But the whole reason it's all happening, as you say, is financial incentive. You know, until there is a law that prohibits the pharmaceutical industry from providing financial incentives to doctors to prescribe their drugs, we won't have a clean sheet when it comes to drug prescribing. It'll always be tainted by a doctor's personal gain. And as soon as we have that, we don't really have proper medicine. So what we really need to see, and hopefully we'll start talking, this will be a talking point in next year's election in America, is cleaning out, talk about clearing the swamp. We really need to clear the swamp of the FDA and the Centers for Disease Control. The current employees there are all drug company employees or somehow themselves receiving financial incentives. And is and until we clean up that kind of corruption in government agencies, we're not going to have the regulations that would stop this kind of outrage. Well, you're right. And, and you know, we, we did a study on this, or rather did a report on this in an earlier podcast about how pretty much all of Congress has been bought by the by the drugs industry, which is, yeah, it remains the most pow- powerful lobby in yeah. in the world it pays out the most enormous sums of money billions and billions of dollars every year to ensure that the status quo is is maintained and you know it's it's, it's a for profit industry and it's not there first and foremost for the patient it's there for the drug company shareholders mm. and they'll do whatever they can to ensure the shareholder gets his dividend and it has to be unshackled from money yeah. And by the way, in um, in case you're thinking that these are only Republicans, Democrats, as well as Republicans, they've taken almost the same amounts of money. Um, we're actually going to be publishing a, the list of shame, um, where the top people who have received um, received financial in, uh, donations from the drug industry in Congress in our July issue, and you'll be shocked by some of the names. Uh, Some of the so-called progressives have received it just as well. Mm. So all of this kind of corruption that is just riddled through the whole system Mm. has to be addressed, Mm. or we're going to have these kinds of calamities continuing. Returning to the oft-plated refrain, that uh, appears in our podcast, which is that um, doctor is smart, but nature is smarter. Um, in other words, there seems to be a, a natural remedy or cure for most things out there, and it's all <coughs> non-drug-based, and even including stomach cancer, one of the most tenacious and aggressive cancers there is, the third deadliest in men. And once it's advanced beyond a certain stage, Medicine has very few answers to it. But scientists have discovered that there are four compounds in general availability, we can get them today in your local shop, which can not only prevent but even reverse stomach cancer. 
And this, uh, these compounds include turmeric, the well-known spice that gives color and flavor to food, which has always, already been recognized as a way of preventing a number of uh, cancers. There's also an unpronounceable form of vitamin D. Then there's resveratrol, which is found in grapes, berries, and of course in red wine. And quercetin, a plant pigment found in apples, broccoli, and onions. And uh, they've all been tested in a laboratory, and they've been set up against a series of uh, stomach cell lines and found that they've killed the cell lines off. And um, this is incredibly good news for poor souls who already have the cancer and just as good news for us who, rest of us who don't want to get the cancer. Um, it seems to work by uh, the compounds all seem to regulate histone activity. And histones are proteins in cell nuclei that organize DNA and affect the development of several cancers. So essentially, they're stopping the spread uh, of cancer. So this is extraordinary news that, you know, so turmeric, good old turmeric in your Indian curry and uh, forms of vitamin D and resveratrol in grapes, berries, red wine and quercetin found in apples, broccoli and onions can all reverse stomach cancer. It's really remarkable, Brian. But as you say, the more we look, the more we find that there's an alternative remedy to treat or cure pretty much everything. Mm. And increasingly, we're finding it's in foods. It's in foods and herbs and just natural sources out there. I think that vitamin D is actually cholecalciferol. Okay, well, well done. Um, <laughs> well done. I didn't, I didn't have my false teeth in, so I didn't want to attempt that one, but well done. Right, mm. and so it's a form of vitamin D. Mm. But, um, but as, as you say, it's amazing the things that are in just in red wine and grapes and mm. berries and um, apples, broccoli, onions, all that kind of stuff that's mm. just out there and available for everyone mm. can be a potent mm. antidote, can do what... Uh, chemo can't do. Yeah. And I think it's just down to, again, you know, everyone eating good natural foods. And it's extraordinary how many people don't. Mm -hmm. they're, they're so reliant on, on processed foods. They're not getting these essential nutrients, which would keep them healthy. Absolutely. And not getting out there in the sun. Well, that's it for vitamin D. Yeah. Absolutely. So, well, look, I mean, isn't that, isn't that positive news? So continuing the theme of Dr. Smart Nature Smarter, there's another interesting research study that came out uh, in the last couple of weeks that discovered that just adding some raspberries to your breakfast can actually reverse and certainly prevent type 2 diabetes. And that uh, involves just eating less than one cup or 125 grams, less than one cup of raspberries every morning, uh, reduces the chances of developing diabetes. And that's even in people who are at higher risk, such as those who are overweight or obese, or already showing signs of insulin resistance. And the berries can also lower blood sugar levels in diabetics after they've eaten a meal. And we all know the process that takes place that 
you have um, the sort of you know the, the high sugar carbs releases insulin to break down into glucose, which is blood sugar. And if you have too much of the high carbs, then the insulin becomes less effective, and we become insulin resistant. And when we become insulin resistant, we become diabetic. So what this does, the the raspberries actually interrupt that cycle, and. Um, and it seems that they um, also lower the the the, um, uh, the level of insulin that is being released. So why does it work? Well, they're not entirely sure, but they say it's to do with the fact that raspberries are rich in polyphenols, which are antioxidants that also protect against cancers, heart disease, and general inflammation. And we know that general inflammation is at the heart of so many health problems, including heart disease itself. But they did. They restricted their um, observations on diabetes for this particular test, and um, found that um, even after just a few days of taking uh, the raspberries, they were finding the the signs of diabetes were receding. Insulin resistance was also receding as well, and. Um, yeah, so I mean, it, it's it, blood glucose levels was as a result significantly lower, and um, yeah, so within a month there was serious signs of reversal of diabetes. I mean, this is amazing, Brian, because it demonstrates once more that berries are a superfood. Yeah, I mean, we've heard that forever about blueberries mm-hmm. and blueberries being really great for memory yeah. loss and yeah. things like that, but this is really the nub of so many illnesses, insulin Mm. resistance. Mm. We now know there's so much good evidence demonstrating that cholesterol isn't the problem in heart disease. It's insulin resistance. As soon as the pancreas and the liver, because the liver's involved as well, um, get overwhelmed with these sugars Mm. from processed foods, um, then the whole system breaks down, begins to break down, and we have all of these degenerative diseases. Mm. So we now know that this is at the heart. But this isn't an invitation to keep eating junk and processed foods. Um, But it does demonstrate that rather than a coterie of, um, of dangerous, potentially dangerous drugs, you can start eating raspberries and start cleaning up the process. Mm. And that plus a more regulated, lower-carb diet would be a recipe for reversing so many of these illnesses. Yeah, and it's extraordinary how it doesn't take much. You know, it just, in this particular case, just eating less than one cup a day for breakfast or with Mm -hmm. your breakfast. And within a month, we're seeing significant decrease in the symptoms of diabetes. And... Yeah, I think we see this so often, don't we? I mean, it's not just with this, but with so many other conditions, chronic conditions, to which you know medicine has no answer other than to give drugs to, to you know, ameliorate this, the basic symptoms, but they're not curing anything. And yet here we are, we have sort of just good natural foods mm. doing this and doing it quickly. Well, and I think that is also the worrying part mm. because this is a huge and direct threat to an enormous coterie of expensive drugs. Mm. It's an enormous threat to one sector of a giant industry, you know, with, mm. with, for instance, heart disease. 
you know, you're talking about raspberries being something that can reverse this. Well, there is a massive amount of, you know, drugs. There's the whole statin industry. There's the low-fat food industry. There are all those things purporting to eliminate heart disease, and all you need to do is have a sensible, healthy diet and have some raspberries, mm. it looks like. So this would pose an enormous threat, and we really have to take our hats off to Oklahoma State University That's who conducted yeah. the study yeah. because they're doing so. They're swimming against the tide. Yeah. This giant, um, uh, elaborate, and extremely profitable tide. Mm of big food and big pharma. Yeah. Well, again, it comes down to money, doesn't it? And it's good to know that these researchers must be getting funding from somewhere. Often it's uh, individual benefactors who are funding this sort of research that so desperately needs to be done. Um, whereas most drug trials, no, correction, every drug trial is paid for by the manufacturer. Uh, no one else is going to do it. And, of course, they have to then make sure that the... Um, the result is as one would expect from the spon for the sponsor, and this is where all the fraud, medical fraud, comes into it. So, it, yes, it is good. Well done, Oklahoma State University, for doing this study. There are many others who are doing something similar, and may they long continue and get benefactors to support them. Absolutely. Thanks, Brian. You probably not noticed this, Lynn. There's been a bit of a backlash against uh, anti-vaxxers of late. You probably not noticed the news, but in fact, we're in the height of a of hysteria right now. I mean, it makes McCarthy seem like a pussycat by comparison. I mean, anyone who breathes a word about vaccines, maybe, nah, maybe they're not quite as safe as everyone says, as there are about a six-page uh, patient sheet that comes with a vaccine pointing out that they're not, or that um, they're maybe not always as effective as we have been told, or even though most people who get measles or whatever have been vaccinated. But anyone who even suggests these things uh, faces, well, at least public humiliation, probably has their house taken away, and probably goes to prison. And I say quite right too, Lynn. <laughs> um, but the truth of the matter is, it's all been a bit overdone, as we rather guessed it might be, as, as happens in hysterical times, it always is. And the message comes from a doctor, in fact, who says, you know what, all this business about anti-vax messages on Facebook and have absolutely no effect on people not getting their children vaccinated. As we know, in Britain alone, about 500,000 kids are behind the vaccine schedule they should be should be having. And um, this doctor says, well, it's got absolutely nothing to do with anti-vax messages on Facebook, but everything to do with real life, i.e. parents trying to book an appointment but can't, or the surgeries being open when the parents can't get there. It's as simple as that. It's simple logistics. And that's why people aren't vaccinating their children. And uh, they uh, actually carried out a poll to prove the point, uh, carried out by Public Health England, and um, discovered that actual belief and faith in vaccines is at an all-time high. So all these anti-vax stories have had no effect whatsoever on people's conceptions and beliefs about vaccinations anyway. But uh, Jamie Lopez Bernal, 
a consultant the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine says, well, no, because that's not people, yeah, it's like anything. People, you know, believe what they want to believe anyway, and they're not going to be particularly influenced. If they're pro-vaccine, reading the anti-vax isn't going to make any difference, doesn't change the filter. So therefore, they're not particularly affected by it. Anybody says, but, you know, Dr. Bernal says, I mean, the problem is simply down to logistics. They just can't get an appointment. And, um, you know, if, if everyone could get their act together, all this low take-up of vaccine you know, rates would disappear. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> and that's a more complicated story, Brian, too. Yeah. I mean, do we want it to? Um, one of the issues that's really going on here, and we have to say we haven't seen it in our lifetime, um, is this whole new McCarthyism, medical McCarthyism, when it comes to having a different point of view. It used to be the job of journalists to be the watchguard for the public, to be the fourth estate, as they were called. And, you know, this is one of the reasons I became a journalist, probably you too, that we realized mm. that you don't it wasn't accept... for the money. <laughs> uh. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, but... You know, the point was you weren't to take at face value what the authorities tell you. You were supposed to question that, investigate it, look behind the news to find out what the story is, the real truth. And that really has to do with vaccination, too. The important issue isn't are we pro or anti-vaccines, is what's the evidence here? And... In all the time we've been doing what doctors don't tell you, that's what we've provided. We've wanted to provide with vaccines and everything. What's the actual evidence? We don't come in with an agenda pro and anti-vaccine. We come in with an agenda for truth. And what we have to say is an enormous body of evidence shows that vaccines work imperfectly, including the MMR vaccine that some are safer than others. Some are downright dangerous. And many are highly, highly ineffective. And of course, a whole lot are no longer necessary. So there's all of those issues. And when you look at the evidence meticulously as we have, the important issue is simply to say, here are the facts. And to question the status quo. But now what worries me the most is that the general newspapers and media now accept as read that these vaccines are absolutely safe and necessary and effective. And also that any drop in the take-up rate has to do with those crazy anti-vaxxers on Facebook that need to be censored. So all of this, who is doing the censoring? You know, the the very wealthy folks out there in Silicon Valley are basically doing the censoring. And also the media are complicit in this. So it's just like McCarthyism. And I never Mm -hmm. thought I would get to see that that happen again in America, where... No one is brave enough to tell the truth. No media um, uh, outlet is brave enough to tell the truth except us. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Just to lighten the tone, Lynn, a couple of fun facts, or or, or you try and guess them. 
Um, as you may know that anyone who is anti-vaxxer has been described in the UK as having blood on their hands, right? Question one. When was the last time a child died from measles in the UK? Tell me. 1992. Question two. Who is about to report the largest ever profit in the next two years? Let me guess. The vaccine manufacturer of the ah, MMR. Ah, you see, you got that one. That's great. Merck, who right. the sole manufacturer of the MMR, about to report enormous profits. But look, fun facts there, Lynn. Thank you very much. So to, um, you know, medicine smart, uh, nature smarter, take three. <laughs> and this one concerns the good old flu, the seasonal flu. And medicine's answer to that is the seasonal flu jab. Except, of course, it doesn't work or it doesn't work very well. It, in fact, it's effective only only about 40% of the cases at the very best. But for hundreds and hundreds of years, folk medicine has been using something quite different to treat flu. Um, in fact, it's compounds from the elderberry f uh, fruit. And so scientists thought, well, let's have a look at this and break it down and see what's in it and how does it work. And they found that, my goodness, this is one of the most potent antivirals they've ever come across. And that it... Um, stops um, the flu virus from spreading and replicating. And the other smart thing about it, which the flu jab doesn't do, is it also at the same time strengthens the immune system to prevent the virus from spreading and also from reoccurring. Um, so this is with time. The researchers were at the University of Sydney in, of course, Australia. And they um, took juice from elderberries, so they extracted them, extracted them, themselves and just bought them at the local farm, extracted the juice and applied them to influenza virus cells and found that they're incredibly effective against the virus. So there you are. I mean, it's, uh, it's it, <laughs> yet again, nature does have the answer. And of course, it happens to be something that people have known about for hundreds of years. Absolutely. And this is so great because the fact that we have these researchers once again willing to do this research, you can go to lots of health food stores mm. and based on what they consider a folk remedy, they have lots of extracts of elderberry mm. on their shelves um, for flu. But now we have a demonstration, yes, the stuff really works. Yeah. And, it, and once again, we have the threat of something simple and cheap against mm. something uh, as part of that giant industrial monolith called the pharmaceutical industry that's expensive and that doesn't work. So um, let's hope that uh, Big Pharma doesn't either try to take this over or uh, try to ban it from the shelves. Yeah, well, of course, there's always a good chance they will. Mm. Well, they can't ban elderflower, elderflower itself. They, well, they could ban the bushes. Or then. elderberry. They, they yeah. could ban the bushes. <laughs> and I think that's what we'll be seeing. Happening. Well, on, on which note, Lynn, I think we've run out of time and jokes. So au revoir. Thanks for watching and listening. And I'm Brian Hubbard, and we'll meet up again soon. I'm Lynn McTaggart. And if you haven't yet, 
Please do check out this month's issue. It's all about how to avoid a hip replacement with simple exercises. Thanks so much.